You're about to join Jerry Parker, Maritz Siebert, and Niels Kostrup-Larsen on their raw and honest journey into the world of systematic investing and learn about the most dependable and consistent yet often overlooked investment strategy. Welcome to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the first edition of the Systematic Investor Series, where each week we discuss and debate what is going on in the world of rule-based investing right now. My name is Nils Kastrolasen, and I'm excited to welcome my co-host, Jerry Parker and Moritz Siebert. So we've been talking about how we should kick off this brand new podcast series, and I think we all felt that it was a good idea to talk a little bit about who we are and why we're doing this, and also what our listeners should expect when they come and listen to us each week. So why don't we just jump right into it and start uh, maybe with you, Jerry. You probably don't really need any introduction among our listeners, but why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your background? Thank you, Niels. <clears throat> uh, I've been involved in trade following since 1983, and I liked trade following before 1983, and I was so happy and thankful that when I met experts in trading and rules-based trading and trend following. They, they um, told me that they believed in trend following as well. So it was kind of a very, very nice coincidence. And uh, so I had great mentors, Richard Dennis, Bill Eckhart, back in the 80s, and um, the famous Turtle program. And uh, then that launched my career. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. What about you, Moritz? How did you uh, end up in this wonderful world of systematic investing? Well, long story. I currently work for uh, Munich Re and design and implement trend-following strategies for them, but really started trading in a systematic way around the year 2000. Um, so during the tech bubble or the end of the tech bubble, it didn't really work out that well for me. And I decided that I'll just quit discretionary trading and make it rules-based and started with trend following and it never stopped so uh i'm a big big fan and i'm doing it ever since sure sure fantastic well for my part um i actually started as a i guess you could call it discretionary trade i was so you know certainly didn't have any rules back then in in the 80s when i started trading government bonds uh, back in in denmark but Coincidentally, and happening at the same time as I started a small wealth management company, I ran into this magazine called Managed Account uh, Reports that, you know, listed a lot of the returns of CTAs. And I'm pretty sure you, you know, you Jerry was was in there um, back then, and sort of starting researching what was really behind these um, quite incredible returns, uh, and. Um, yeah, pretty much got sold of the on the idea of systematic trading, and so for the past twenty eight years, that's you know that's what I've been been doing. So, um, and you know, my day day job, as most people who listen to the podcast know, I I work for another legend, which is uh, Don Capital, and and then you know launched this podcast back in two thousand and fourteen, and it's been a great uh, privilege, really, to to uh, to have conversations with some of the absolute best systematic investors in, in the world, and also to be able to, to share 
this access with uh, so many listeners around the world. So uh, that's pretty much my story and how I got to where we are today. So now that we've got the formal introductions uh, over, let's talk about why we're doing it. And, um, you know, uh, I think for, and maybe I'll just kick it off and then you'll, uh, you, you, you can add, uh, you know, your opinions but I mean, I think for me, I think there are a lot of good podcasts right now on, on the topic of investing. And I think a lot of them uh, are like I started out, you know, they're interview based and you go through people's history and, and their trading and, and very interesting stuff. And, and you can learn a lot from it. But I do think there is something lacking. And that is, I think there is not really a current sort of a, a, a podcast where you debate current topics, you know, what's going on right now. Uh, there, there is in the world of news and and what's happening in the financial markets right now, but not really from the you know looking through the lens of a systematic trade. How do how do we view the world? What do we see? What's changing in our you know in our systems, opinions, and and so on and so forth. So, so for me, that's really you know um, one of the re- you know the big reasons why I think this is um, you know an interesting uh, new weekly. Uh, series where we can bring a different perspective to the world of of podcasting but also to the to you know to the investors around the world who want to you know expand more on their knowledge and and maybe also you know where they don't get so much insight uh, intra month um but where they only see the monthly reports from from the various managers so that's you know and of course I love talking to you guys so that you know why why not put that on a podcast platform and and share our our conversations with with them every week. So that's really my my motivation. What about uh, what about you, Marge? And by the way, Marge, feel free to speak high louder. Okay, I'll try that. <laughs> um, I think for me, it's uh, it's just the fun. I mean, uh, it's great talking with uh, with two friends about trend following. Um, I enjoy that, and I think uh, it you know repeating repeating over and over again that people should stay diversified in their portfolios, follow their trading rules, don't give up, you know, especially with respect to trend following, you'll have those drawdowns. Sometimes they can be very painful. Those are not the times to give up, stick with it. Um, and just, you know, I hope that we'll get some, some education across and, uh, and uh, add value to the, to the world of systematic trading. Sure, sure. What about oh, you, Jerry? I'm always you see? interested in fun, so I do think it's fun. <laughs> it's fun talking to you guys and uh, at, and learning. I think that uh, the more we discuss these issues, I'll come up with some insight, hopefully, and uh, improve my understanding. I feel like I understood uh, the parameters and going long and going short, but the deeper meaning of what we do, I'm always uncovering uh, 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 important insights, uh, at least for me. Um, also, I, I like the idea of um, encouraging each other and, and encouraging others because it is a rules-based is the first part, but then actually following those rules is really difficult. And so the more we can encourage each other and encourage other people and uh, spread the message, um, that that's really something I enjoy doing. Yeah. So I think that's a great, I think that's a great point because um, you know it, it, it in in some ways it can be kind of a, a lonely industry even though we're surrounded by lots of peers. But uh, 
but but you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, and so mentorship like you, Jerry, obviously you probably have you're the best example of that, how important mentorship uh, in, in this business can be. And not not only if you want to become, uh, a, you, know, a, a, you know, a manager yourself, I actually think that investors uh, investing in these strategies um, benefit from mentorship as well because, you know, we, we just don't want to see them disappear out of the uh, industry at the wrong time and neither do we want them to get into the industry or this investment class at the wrong time. So I think those are great, great, great motivations. Now, despite us wanting to, you know, we want this to be a pretty raw conversation, like if we were just meeting up in the local Starbucks and sat around a table and we want to invite people to come along and listen to this. But we did talk about uh, prior to, to this recording that we wanted to have a little bit of a structure so people have an idea of what are the things we're going to be talking about uh, this week. And I don't know, Moritz, uh, if you want to kick that off a little bit in terms of some of the topics that the people should expect uh, to to hear about and, and and on a weekly basis, so to speak. Yeah, so uh, what we'd like to do is um, review the weekend trend following or maybe the month and trend following if there has been like meaningful position changes, um, meaningful events, interesting events that, that are worth uh, speaking about. Um, but, you know, speaking about that, so for instance, last week has been relatively quiet in terms of trend following trading, as at least as far as uh, our system is concerned. Um, no meaningful changes in positions, still the same positions on that we had the week prior. Um, we had a, you know, quiet start to the month this past week has been up a bit so fairly stable so to the extent that you look at the computer and you say like well why is nothing happening but really you know we just didn't get any signals um but then i think in addition to just speaking about trend following trading performance in the reverb mirror like with respect to the past week We'd like to touch on a few topics that we think are of interest, like, you know, does trend following work on single stocks? Um, is trend following beta fee structures? Um, you know, some old whips. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, there's there's so many there's so many there's so many things we you know that comes up on a regular basis uh, that that investors are interested in. So you're absolutely right that we have a long list of topics uh, that uh, that we certainly want to come you know go through uh over time uh absolutely i want to come back to maybe a little bit about you know this weekend trend or what's going right now uh if i may but um we also had something else that that involves you jerry that we wanted to touch on every week to <laughs> i called it jerry's top tweets you know you, you're active on twitter and you've got some great um you've got some great articles that you share and uh, and 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 views so uh so that was another thing we wanted to integrate in this uh, weekly conversation. That's right. I try to tell myself to get off Twitter, and I can't quite do it. <clears throat> so um, thanks to people like you, <laughs> you encourage me to keep going, and uh, I do. But I sometimes regret it. Um, yeah. yeah, I like to read these articles throughout the day <laughs> and uh, view them through a trend-following lens. I mean, I think for some people, they could read the same article and say that has nothing to do with trend-following or rules-based or diversification. And I'm like, oh, what right. just a second. Yeah. Uh, so 
I like, you know, the trend following worldview and apply that to uh, buy and hold, traditional, passive, the stuff that we're bombarded with. So yeah. I think that um, maybe it's a stretch sometimes, but I believe I'm a live on planet trend following and it takes someone like me to sort of uh, try to figure out from a trend following point of view, we may not really agree with that. There's another way of looking at things. And that's what I really enjoy. Yeah. yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's interesting. I, uh, I definitely see, uh, I think, you know, by the way, Twitter seems to have started this new thing that called in case you missed it. So every morning when I get up, Jerry, I get all your, all your tweets in, in kind of one go, which is pretty, pretty cool, actually. Nice, nice way to start the day. But, um, but I think it, it, it also tells me something else. And I, I think it goes for all of us, actually, but I think it's, it's important maybe to highlight. And that is, I feel we're all still students. I mean, people might look at, at Jerry and say, well, he's been doing this for 30 years. He's, you know, the most successful turtle in the world. But when you, when you speak, Jerry, you keep on reiterating that you, you're, still, you're still learning. And I certainly feel the same. I have a, I have, certainly have a strong feeling that, Moritz, you're, you're also. And I think that's important. I mean, this is not something that you learn once uh, and then, you know, you just go on and, and apply forever. I mean, it is a learning process on both the psychological level and on the technical levels and, and, and so on and so forth. It's a journey and uh, it's, it's a very a journey, enjoyable yeah. journey for me. That's a great thing. There was, by the way, there was this song by, what's her name? Hannah Montana, <laughs> I think. Where it talks about, she thinks about the journey being more important than the, you know, the destination, which is pretty, pretty true, actually, that you have to enjoy the, the journey. Yeah. So I think we all And look, do. I mean, I think you know, do. things keep changing, markets change, they evolve, and it's not always easy to be a trend-following trader, right? So you get into those periods where um, it's really, you know, tough to hang on sometimes. So that's the psych psychological part of that, right? And... And those are the times when you can learn a lot about trading, but also about yourself. Like, how do you react to yeah. losses? Um, you know, and, and before you know it, all of a sudden your system turns around and, and you're making money hand over fist. And then it feels like, oh, well, that, that really wasn't that bad. But actually, mm. when you're living through it, it's a completely different type of thing. And, yeah. and this is, at least as, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, that has been a, a multi-year process to uh you know come to terms with with how that works um but when you're following that process and you're following the rules you can also enjoy the benefits and um i think that is really important to always have that you know front of your mind remind yourself about that and uh, and get on with it mm. yeah no i mean i for my part i i still think it it can be difficult not least because you're also i mean i i feel a responsibility to the investors that we have so it's never nice to go through a time where they don't feel you know uh completely happy and and especially if other things in in their portfolio is not you know doing so well it's you know you you take certain you know you take a responsibility and and even though we preach the fact that you know we should take out our emotions um you know we, we do that in the investment process but it doesn't mean that we're not human beings and we we don't you know we don't feel the the pain no doubt what about what about you jerry 
how how do you how do you feel after all these years on on your side? There's definitely a lot of pain, and it's coming from uh, criticism of clients in the markets and uh, the competitive nature, and not wanting to lose at anything. Yeah. <clears throat> When I first started trading, yeah. I worked for a really smart person, and he gave us a million dollars to manage. And he said, "Just do the right things, and don't worry about it." If you're doing the right trades, like I've taught you. Now, when you get into yeah. the real world, uh, that's not what people say. I don't care what it takes. You can cheat. You can do a counter trend trade. <laughs> just make me money. And so I realized that we lived in yeah. a very pretend world, a very nice one, at least for the first four years of trading. We were uh, taken care of and cloistered in a way that uh, allowed us to maybe withstand some of the constant. Uh, You know, criticism or doubt. You know, clients do make you doubt. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. At least for me, when I look at your journey, Jerry, and obviously, as many people probably know, I I also worked for you back in the '90s, and there's no doubt when I look at that journey that you probably, I mean, you had the best entree to this world that that you can imagine. I mean, someone that would take you under you know his wings and uh, and 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 shield you from some of the things that you end up facing a little bit like childhood right i mean so you get a chance to to learn to to walk and run before you have to in in the real world and um, you know that that's a great start and unfortunately those opportunities don't really exist anymore uh, as far as i can that's tell that's right um, it's sort of like giving someone a set of rules And saying, uh, "Go be a marine," you know, "Go, go, go, be an officer." No, you can't just give them the rules. They have to live yeah. it and breathe it and experience it. And so we had so much more than some rules—rules rules that were going to change and parameters that had to change and evolve. Yeah. Um, so that experience doesn't really get talked about a great deal. What were you guys doing each day? What was Rich saying each day? What happened when you lost 35% after the first six months? It's the focus on the rules and how do you trade. Yeah. The experience uh, was gave us a big leg up. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, we also wanted to do one other thing, and maybe we go back to some of these points we just talked about. But we did want to do one more thing every week if we can, and that maybe is to to um, you know take a question or two from from the listeners. Um, so uh, you know if you have a question you want to pose uh, for us to to talk about um, and hopefully we 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 can come up with a so it maybe it's the question and attempted answers uh, kind of section um you know feel free to send it uh, to info at toptradersonplug.com and uh, yeah we'll see what what comes up actually i did get a question uh, this week uh, interestingly enough which i'm happy to to pose but i wanted to Maybe because it's the first edition and maybe it'll be a little bit longer than usual, but I do want to go back to maybe give a people a little bit of a feel for this. Uh, Moritz, you talked a little bit about your portfolio and it hadn't moved a lot this week. It's improved, but but you said it was a quiet week. Um, well, what are the themes that you see in, in your trend-following approach right now when you look at the portfolio? So uh, what's happened in the past weeks is we've uh, made a lot of money from being short precious metals that has stopped um so you know being short okay. gold being short silver those have been great trades we're still in those trades but um uh, the, you know the, the downside movement has stopped 
Um, we've also had a, uh, a good run in some of the energy markets um, and that, you know, just uh, just as flatlining for the time being. Flatlining okay. not to the point that, you know, it produces new signals or gets us out of the trades or, you know, results in a meaningful change of position size, just um, just stopped moving in the past couple of days. So uh, that's that's what I meant with with quiet. And and as you know, you know, we can come into the office on Monday and that changes uh, in a heartbeat. Sure, sure, sure. Have you been busy this week, Jerry? No, not busy. Not busy trade wise. Um, we're making money in the safe markets. No. Um, I would just say, from my point of view, the it's dominating the markets or the stocks. Of course, we trade the single stocks, trend following the single stocks in with uh, indices. And yeah. So some of those stocks are in nice uptrends. The tech stocks, in particular, uh, Nike. It's in, and now. Yeah. Then I think uh, overall, there's too many okay. shorts. Uh, the shorts are not that great. Historically, they're great for diversification mostly. But the mega trades that we need are going to be long precious metals, uh, long soybeans and corn. So I'm a little negative, And I didn't even realize yeah. how much that we had a good month in August due to all these short trades because I was, wasn't, I don't follow performance daily. And I was just, not being that confident. Oh, I didn't want to go short gold. I wanted to go long gold. So, you know, look at that we made money. So <laughs> it's just been a preponderance of the short trades and uh, typically prefer longs. So, but we'll go, we'll go with the trend. Yeah. Very yeah. good point on no, that. I mean, that's just uh, looking yeah. at a number here. I mean, our portfolio is about 45% short of that point in time, which is a very high number. Yeah, um, even uh, even compared to history, and you know, metals short um, in the currencies. It's pretty much one way: long the dollar, short all the others. Um, so it's it is, uh, yeah, it, it does have a lot of short positions. And I agree with Jerry that um, the longs do work better. So if we had more longs and uh, and stronger uptrends, that would be that would be a good thing. So let me throw a question to you guys. Uh, a statistic that I came across many years ago, uh, someone was running a pretty simple, uh, straightforward uh, 100-day breakout type uh, system. And um, and then the data that, that came out when, when we look back many years on in terms of performance, about 90% of the performance came from long-sided mm -hmm. trades. So for those who may not, you know, uh, know about this. Um, I wanted to ask you, just our curiosity, what do you attribute to that? Because clearly this is one of the things that I think you're referring to, Jerry, that you like, you like the long-sided trades uh, rather than the short trades. Is that related to the statistics that I just mentioned? Totally related to the statistics. I don't think it's appropriate uh, to yeah. segregate the trades in that way. Um, Here's how I'm going to trade the laws and no. shorts differently. That's obviously not what we do or should do, or even I right. think look at right. it in that way. So yeah. right out of the box, I violated one of the big trend following principles. Uh, it's just hard to ignore. <laughs> and uh, but you know we've had great short trades before over the years. But yeah, the numbers it's better sure. if they're long. But uh, I think it's best. 
Why do you think that? Why do you why why do why, why is that? Why why is it so much easier to make money on the long well, side? I mean, ups, unlimited upside, unlimited potential. The longs. Uh, there's some trades in the database mm. that go 100 ATRs, 200 ATRs, and a lot of the shorts. If they went to zero, yeah. they wouldn't make 100 ATR. So it's, yeah. you know, just a little bit. Although I do True. think that it's technically or statistically possible for that to change over time. It's one of the great things about trend following. Things that have never happened before, we're ready. <laughs> we crushed it because all we did was follow the trend and uh, close our ears and clo close our eyes and try not to think too much more than that. Just uh, you know, let's go with the trend and uh, maybe look dumb initially, but trend followers are the only ones who are going to stay long interest rates as they approach zero and they keep going or um, yeah. short crude at 90 and hold on to it when it goes down to 20. So there's benefit. Yeah. You know, I, I agree. I'd love to hear your uh, views more, but I mean, I agree completely with that point, uh, Jerry, but in my own mind, at least maybe because I started out, you know, as a sort of, you know, from the discretionary side, I guess you could say, or from a, from a trader side, is I've always felt, rightly or wrongly, that short-sided trades were harder for us to capture because lows are often made quite quickly. But it can take a long, like we saw in stocks in February of whenever it was, 2009 or March 2009. It was like one day and then off we went to the races and 10 years later we're still going up. But long-sided trades or, or you know, or top seems to be forming over several weeks, several months. So I always felt that our systems would have a better chance of getting out and not give back too much uh, of the profits in some kind of quick reversal. Does, does any one of you think the same? Yeah. Or is it well, just me? I think in, in equities, sure. Uh, downside movements, they are quicker, more erratic. Uh, there's more movement there. The, the trends on the upside, they uh, tend to be a bit more stable longer term so in, in equities yes i mean trading those from the long side that that works better but then you know don't forget about you know bonds i mean we all have a large allocation to bonds and you know obviously that has been a long trade for years and years and years and years and years so uh, uh it, you know saying the shorts don't work there i think that's a stretch and we also shouldn't forget that you know we all say it's diversification, diversification, diversification. We're trading across many, many different markets and sectors, but also trading long and short. That is a lot of diversification, right? So having longs and shorts in the portfolio active at the same point in time, that that is important. So um, the short trades, they do, you know, they, they do deserve credit where it's due. It's just that um, for whatever reason, you know, also when you look at the energies, the commodities, the shorts just don't work that well as the longs. Yeah, no, no, that, that's um, all very valid, all very valid points. I mean, it's, you know, going back to, uh, and I think you, Jerry, said it's been incredibly quiet on, on your side in terms of trading activity um, before we started our conversation today. But, but also when I look at it more objectively, I've got this trend barometer that just monitors, you know, uh, what's going on from a momentum point of view. It's not it's not really a trading system, but it is a good proxy for what is going on in our industry. And and I, I'm just looking at it right now and it's like, you know, out of 11 
markets uh, or maybe 15 markets in total out of 44 that is in some kind of trend or defined by this uh, measure um only two of them are uptrends <laughs> which is uh, you know i think it's the uh, the swiss franc and, and and nasdaq but all the other markets that indicates a trend is to the downside and most of them actually in the commodity space which is interesting as well um and if you look at the bloomberg commodity index i mean that's not doing so well so it's an you know it's an interesting interesting time uh, i think a lot of investors i'm not sure they can really participate you know that they do participate in these big down moves in commodities um unless they really trade the index um it's a harder harder trade to get into i think for normal investors so it's part of the diversification i guess uh, one thing i'd like to so what is going on on your side other than that jerry anything uh, in particular one thing i'd like to uh, bring up as a topic up? maybe for a future uh, podcast would be i think that there's evidence that a long bond trade is actually a short trade so i think that's kind of an interesting thing to look at i think i think we're actually <laughs> short interest rates so uh that's Maybe something for another yeah. day, but um, yeah, I've never looked at these patterns like that. I've just run the systems, looked at the back test, and said, "Oh, the short term not that great." But I've never uh, had a desire to sort of look at patterns and say, "Oh, the shorts behave differently." I hear that, and I'm sure that you're right, but I just uh, never. Yeah. Um, and I guess, but I see these crashes happening in logs and shorts. I think this is one of the things over the past 10 or 15 years that's distressing about trend following is um, it's it's frequently a crash, a long, a long trade and the volatility picks up and it looks like a lot of people are trying to exit at the same time. We had it this week in the emissions contract and that was a pretty violent okay. sell-off, but pretty much similar to cotton and uh, some of the other cocoa. Right. In some of the other markets that it looks like the amount of trading and exiting and selling that happens is is too much uh, for the market to handle uh, but of course we've seen it in interest rates and in uh, stocks as well so i think this is sort of a play yeah. on trend following you know we're going to have trends trend following may not work one of these days but it won't mean we won't have trends we'll have massive trends the last two or three years yeah. The problem these days is uh, what are you going to do when it looks like you're going to get back a year's worth of profit in a week? So that's what we need to be concerned yeah. about. The trend followers possibly are cre creating their own demise. Well, I think, I mean, I think that's true. And you, you hear that, uh, I, I come across that a lot over here, um, from, from investors and potential investors when they criticize the returns of, of, you know, recent returns of trend following. But of course, you know, the company I work for, we've actually had better returns in the last five and a half years than we've had in our, you know, the previous 40 years. So, so I don't recognize the fact that trend following is, is, is becoming, you know, worse than it used to be it i think it it requires um maybe different you know methodologies if you know evolving your your systems your methods etc etc I, I i don't think trend following is going away but but clearly when there are more people maybe using the same maybe more simplified approaches and maybe a lot of the 
end investors now think they can do it themselves or they don't want to pay the fees or the banks say, oh, we can do momentum and we'll do it for you for 10 basis points. So they use usually very simple, in my opinion, at least they, they use simple approaches to capture this factor. And therefore, they probably will look alike and therefore they probably will be exiting and entering more or less at the same time. And that, that can cause some some disturbances. But I think if you come up with better you know, exits in particular, I'm very focused. I think exits are really, really important in what we do uh, when it comes to determining p- p- performance because I think we all spot a trend when it begins more or less at the same time, whether we use breakouts or time series momentum, whatever it might be. But but I think the exits is where we can really differentiate ourselves. And uh, and and yeah, so that's how I see that. But I hear that a lot, Jerry. That's, that's, that's for sure. Would you be up for, by the way, Jerry, did you have a, a great tweet or two this week that you um, wanted to share? Or I know we didn't maybe prepare anything, but that's the great thing about this this podcast series. We're not going to be that prepared, actually. We're going to just talk and see what happens. Yeah, sure. I, you know, 90, 95% of the time, I tweet an article and I pull yeah. some copy-paste, copy-paste the best part. And, of course, it suits my opinions. And, yeah. But this week, uh, I I liked <laughs> this one article, and maybe, and I had my own uh, my own rare comment that I included in the tweet, and it it uh, went something like this: that uh, okay, I read a lot of articles, of course, that talk about um, adding diversification to a portfolio. Well, and you mentioned earlier commodities, right? And uh, it's difficult uh, for this amount when I see this analysis, it's difficult for the the commodity or basket to be included in a portfolio because they the assumption is it's going to be a buy and hold. So what the trend followers, uh, CTA, mm-hmm. diversified trend followers do is they uh, can add markets to a portfolio that are not good as buy and hold. And uh, where traditionally the analysis is, how does gold do? Well, I'm, I'm talking buy and hold, of course. Well, it may not do that great. So you may say, well, there's a real yeah. lost opportunity here if I invest in some gold or corn or soybeans or commodities or crude, and I prefer the 60-40 then. And what, I, what we're seeing is that that's true. If you want to add some of these crazy commodities and foreign exchange into your portfolio, it's you must use trend following in order to expect it to add diversification plus actually uh, add to performance. And I think, and then of course you mentioned uh, mm. shorts, and that's the uh, a great secret that uh, people should not shy away from shorts, regardless of what I said five minutes ago. Uh, they add diversification; they can't they can't make <laughs> money, and then that's pretty much totally the uh, you're going to get that totally from CTAs and almost nowhere else. Uh, the short corn, the short coffee, short soybeans that we have on now, and so. CTAs can uh, safely and profitably uh, put some of these other markets in their portfolio, but it must be with uh, the trend following. It's frustrating to keep you know, reading articles about yeah. diversification and the one mindset is, well, it has to be buy and hold, right? And I'm like, no, no, it's not buy and hold. It's <laughs> trend following uh, rehabilitates yeah. uh, markets that historically haven't made money and magically they become profitable. 
Yeah. So it, I mean, so in, in, in and also in other words, it's not just the market that adds diversification. It's the approach that adds, you know, the way you trade those markets that adds diversification. It's funny you say that. I could be completely wrong here, but I seem to have seen an analysis by someone who studies the markets and have done for many, many years. And I'm pretty sure he was talking about commodities generally having a 30, you know, 35 year cycle, a little bit like the interest rate cycle in terms of length. But the majority of the time, I think something like two thirds of the time, commodities spend the time going down. And only a third of that full cycle, the market goes up. So, you know, if that's the case, and I actually don't think it's completely wrong uh, when you look at the long term charts, um, then clearly, you know, the buy and hold in commodities um, is a pretty painful uh, exercise. And, you know, just look, as I mentioned earlier, I was just looking at the Bloomberg Commodity Index. I mean, that's gone down for quite a while uh, and quite a lot. So, you know, if you didn't do the trade on the short side as well, it wouldn't have been a fun uh, asset class to have in your portfolio. Exactly. We're, 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 what uh, about, yeah. we're all fooled because it's so easy with stocks. They just keep going up all the time. And we've had so much uh, success with that <laughs> in bonds, are great diversifier yeah. as well. And so we, that's what we think. That's how markets behave. Yeah. You A good market, a good investment, you buy it, you yeah. hold on to it, and it goes up. And so these other markets are perfectly great markets that just don't have, I don't know, the equity premium or whatever fundamental people call it. And uh, now I might be a little skeptical that the last 100 years is going to, the next 100 years will be as good as the previous 100 years. But even given that, you know, it's, that's fine. Um, I can deal with that. But please let me add some real diversification to your portfolio with some uh, long, short uh, commodities, FX, uh, using a trend-following system. Yeah. Yeah, no, in, indeed. Any thoughts on your side, Moritz? Otherwise, I'm yeah. going to throw in that question we had from the okay, list. I, I agree with we, that, but I don't think any of those markets are... Are buy and hold markets. I mean, just looking at the charts, if you look at natural gas, lean hogs, live cattle, those are not buy and hold markets. Um, they're trading markets, long and short. And yeah. I don't know about those cycles, like, you know, those 30 year, 35 year cycles. I have no opinion on that, whether they exist or don't exist. But just looking at the charts, it's very clear that you want to trade those markets. And then you have those studies that say, well, adding commodities to a diversified equity portfolio diversifies it even more and it gives us an inflation hedge. Okay, fine. Um, but it, it, it does give you an even better hedge if you apply a trend-following trading method to those. And, and also, mm. I think the same goes for equities. I mean, you have the equity risk premium and buying and holding equities produces a positive annual return. Okay, that's great. But, um, you know, why don't you start with, say, trend following, trend following on equities. And then if you feel like it to add buy and hold to it, then add buy and hold to it to get that equity risk premium. But most people get it the other way around. They say, I'll start with buy and hold equities. That's 70% of my portfolio, maybe 80% of my portfolio, whatever the number is. And and then I add a trading strategy on top, like trend following. And I do it exactly the other way around. You get better results. Mm. Yeah, definitely. 
Now, before I get to the question from our listener, I wanted to, I think another thing I think could be, if I remember, I'm sure, you know, to, to just for this, since it's a weekly thing we do and think we want to bring people closer, I, I, I think I want to every week try and just give people a sense of where these uh, indices are. And, and by the way, with the uh, performance um, it's going to be close of business Thursday because the indices don't get updated on Friday. So this week, I know Friday was a great week for, for most strategies in our space. So these numbers will probably be definitely on the low side. But anyways, this week so far, uh, or I should say month to date so far, B top 50 uh, is down 0.15 and down 2.8 for the year. The SOCGEN CTA index is down 1.02% for the uh, for the month and down 383 for the for the year. The SOCGEN trend index, which is probably closest to what we got, we do, uh, down 1.16 for the month. Oh, sorry, 61 for the month and down 3.82 for the year. And then the short-term traders index is down 0.73 for the month so far as of Thursday and down 0.184 the year 2018 but let me um uh let me get to this question that i've been talking about so this is from bruno i'll just say his first name because i don't know if i've got permission to say his full name but bruno sent me this question um and um, here it goes although not all managers want to have an aum in the billions i would love to know what differentiates a fund that has achieved billions in aum from a fund that is looking to get to that level but never did even though they might have similar performance why some make it to the big leagues and why some don't is there an art to raising money aside from performance such as networking or who you know uh, or who you yeah or who you know kind of thing what are the steps an up and coming manager needs to take towards raising capital that was the question from bruno um who wants to go first well i actually tweeted about that that subject this week i'm an article and the uh, oh cool all right. The title of the article from CTA Intelligence Magazine is Investors Value Marketing Message, Not Performance. And my, okay. tweet was, my quote was, managers should have a clear, concise message instead of touting their track record. The marketing campaign goal is not to raise capital, but to raise actionable conviction. I, I think just, you know, historically I've had some experience on raising money and facing uh, redemptions, you know, obviously it's people dealing with people and confidence and you know, your ability to it's, it's, inspire confidence in clients uh, plus the performance. Uh, I think it's probably performance is probably uh, more important, especially uh, managers who don't have a lot of AUM probably think uh, their performance is just as good as everyone else's, but then uh, probably statistically it's probably not, uh, but definitely especially in this day and age, I think uh, being seen as a institutional worthy, institutional quality organization with uh, lots of people and internal controls and uh, the firm. And I think a lot of the small organizations and CTAs, they just can't measure up and give institutions uh, that sort of confidence. You know, uh, I think people who allocate money, they want to deal with firms that look like them maybe even talk like them uh so but i'm a bad one to, to ask because we haven't really raised money in a long time 
other than through mutual funds. And I feel like uh, our strategy, the way we talk to people, it seems to <clears throat> resonate better with the retail investor in, in a mutual fund. So to some degree, I'm guessing, but uh, it's probably very logical. And it's also probably very discoverable. Ask people why they don't, large organizations, institutions, and pensions don't give money to small traders. You'll probably uh, get, a, get a pretty straightforward mm. answer. Yeah, but I, but I, yeah, I agree. And um, but I actually think you are a great example, even though you say you're not, because you're right. I mean, when you've seen different sides of of the cycle, um, you know, it it's um, some firms. It seems always seems to be going in, in one direction, right? So uh, I think this is pretty valuable. What about you, Morris? What what are you what uh, what are you what is your opinion about this topic? I believe good marketing is the secret sauce. If you just have a good track record, um, the best track record in the world, people aren't going to come to you. Um, you have to do something on top of that. And when you look at the large firms, I mean, how did they become so large? I think they went out there and uh, produced content, produced education. They've been very service oriented toward their investors. I think AQR, we can name them. They're a great example. Um, you have Cliff Asnes going out there with, you know, papers on a regular basis, his opinions on a regular basis, and he makes the firm known and they create a following. So it's about creating that following with be that social media, um, publications, white papers, going to conferences, you name it. If you don't do that and all you have is that great track record, but nobody sees it, then it's going to be very hard. Or even if even if people do yeah. see it, they're going to prefer maybe AQR, AQR, someone like AQR. So I agree with that totally. Yes. Uh, what perception? When I see you, your brand is and, what I think of you, what, what I believe about you, when I think about you. And I it just Cliff is perfect. He's really funny, and he is really smart, and that's yeah, that's, that's a great combination. And that's a very good combination. And then, yeah, you know, once you've made yeah. it through that 1 billion AUM mark or two or three or, you know, multi-billion AUM mark, then then you are that large firm with, you know, maybe hundreds of employees and they market their PhDs. And, and then if you don't have real bad performance that makes investors withdraw from your funds um, and you've pretty much made it, then, then you're out there. But the real difficult thing is to... Uh, move from 50 to 100 to 500 and maybe then to a billion. I think that is the real difficult um, part of the journey to become a large manager. I mean, I agree with, with what you guys have said. I think though, uh, looking back at the last sort of 30 years or so, I think it all changed a bit with the financial crisis. I certainly feel that, you know, back in the day, um, to some extent, you could get away with small organizations if you had good performance and, and so on and so forth. I think the financial crisis to me changed all of that and, and it became this tick box mentality and it became, you know, um, advisor driven, consultant driven, where, you know, if you weren't on their, uh, you know, approved list, uh, you could forget about raising money from the big organizations. And of course, the firms who had made it at that stage 
you know, continue to raise money and, and all the smaller ones uh, have really struggled uh, since. Um, but I also think, I still think it's a really, it's a really hard uh, thing to do raising capital it's it, you know it's probably easy for a few firms because of they have amazing track records and they have you know great infrastructure and you know good reputations and all of that but i think most managers will will say that it's uh, it's one of the hardest thing that they uh, they deal with um but i think it's true and i think the other i think the other mistake i see from people and that is not not just that are they focusing too much on on the returns in their uh, marketing, but they're actually also trying to sell. And I don't think people want to be sold to. Um, I think people want to be educated. They want to be motivated. Um, and they want to know who they can trust. And it takes time. And unless you, you know, unless you're really persistent about it and you're committed uh, to deliver that value to your prospects and to your clients, uh, I think that it's really tough to succeed uh, in that part of the business. The funny thing, though, is, <laughs> and maybe this is a topic for another conversation, and that is once you then make it, money can flow in pretty quickly because you've now you're now institutional grade and you get into these big mandates and you get you know big clips of assets. But then performance seems to at some point, you know. In my, that's at least how I feel about it. I think, I think a lot of managers overstep the capacity issue, and uh, when it becomes size uh, driven um, for whatever reason, um, and I think that's a shame, uh, to be frank, um, because then investors get this bad feel about the industry we're in and saying, oh yeah, but the industry is not doing so well. They look at the index. And of course the index is dominated by the top 20 managers, right? So they they are the index and if they are all raising too much money and the returns deteriorate, then the whole industry gets a bad rap for that. So I, I think it's, yeah, it's <laughs> difficult to raise the money and it's also difficult once you've raised them to apparently say no to more money because it's tempting yeah, to continue. That's beautiful insight. Uh, absolutely. That's there's so many pitfalls along the way. And some of them mm -hmm. don't have anything to do with systems or proper trading, entries and exits. And it's right. It's like the world's waiting. Yeah. If you misstep, the competition is so intense. Uh, there's always someone else. Uh, I would also yeah. add that it's pro once again yeah. uh, probably a big topic topic for another discussion. But I think it's worth asking a hard. <laughs> rude question, which is, uh, do the CTAs, have they given people what they want? Uh, I think we continue to say over and over uh, how we do things. And then we, our conclusion is, well, we have to educate people better. And I think that's a, probably a little silly in the sense that uh, we're pretty good at educating and it's not that difficult. It's just that people don't like what we offer. And we're not sitting around going, what part of what we do, can we uh, craft into another type of vehicle or another type of product that uh, they may actually want to buy? It is a business at, at the end of the day. I know I like to forget about that because this podcast is about theory and rules and philosophy and worldview. But uh, why not uh, a stock, mostly a stock portfolio? Mostly, 50, 60, 70% individual single stocks. Uh, 
with some currencies and commodities. So day one, I should have started that fund. And uh, to be more in line with what it looks like people like, you know, after the lost decade, um, stocks began to look like a trading market as well. And uh, we, you know, uh, but it didn't hinder people. You know, after a couple of years of a good bull market, you know, people are back to loving equities again. CTAs don't trade equities. Really, most of them don't. They trade the indices, and then they uh, look at uh, crisis alpha or how we fit into a portfolio of traditional assets versus sort of creating that portfolio. Here's mostly stocks with a little bit of FX and commodities. Uh, then we were faced with these questions. Does trend following work? Well, this one fund I have that's mostly stocks, mm. and it works great because it's mostly stocks, and that's the thing that's been trending uh, long trends the best. So we kind of got ourselves in a box where we're sort of very uh, rigid in how what we deliver. Maybe clients want, okay, I'll take the trend following, but please do mostly stocks or only stocks. But most CTAs keep plugging that way and saying, nope, um, you need to buy what I'm, what I'm selling. Yeah. I mean, it's funny you say that. I mean, I think it was Henry Ford who uh, said that if you ask customers what they want, they, you know, they would have told him at least, you know, a faster horse. So in, I think what he was saying is that people don't really know what they want until you show it to them. And then I think Steve Jobs, you know, kind of repeated that, that sometimes it takes someone to, you know, not do what people want but do something else and then demonstrate that it's good for them. And it and it, it, it's a great point you make because I think we can prove, I mean, there's never been a white paper written that is, you know, talks against the original Lindner paper that adding managed futures to a portfolio of stocks and bonds will increase returns and lower your drawdowns. There's never been a white paper to, to disagree with that, right? So I think we've got all the proof on our side that people should want what we, what we are offering. But I agree with you as well, Jerry, that if we were pa packaging it differently to something more in terms of what they think they like, we would sell more of it for sure. But is it? But is it really what they should? I mean, <laughs> is it really what they should buy? Things from us that you know is is more in align with what they already have to some extent. I don't know. I mean, well, let's 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 keep that for another uh, week because we've already been going for almost an hour we want to keep these uh, conversation but it shows i think hopefully the listeners that there's going to be plenty of stuff coming from us in uh, in the time ahead so i think if it's okay with you guys we'll wrap up for for this week how Agreed. do you feel about that uh, i think it's we got a lot to talk about so that's it's, it's encouraging i was wondering yeah, and we should Jerry, touch on that point again. Um, what yeah. should, you know, why don't investors always want to have trend following? I mean, you know, look at 40, 50 years of trend following history, you look at the chart and you you must say to yourself, how can you not want that, right? But then yeah. you live in right here, right now in, in real time and maybe it hasn't worked for five years and then all of a sudden your perception changes if you compare performance to a strong bull market in the S&P 500, boom, there you go. You don't want that anymore. There's a lot of short-term yeah. thinking there going on, but let's make that another episode. Sure. All right, cool. On that note, let's wrap up 
this week's conversation. We hope that you've enjoyed it just as much as we enjoyed making it for you. From Jerry, Moritz and me, thanks so much for listening and we look forward to being back with you next week. Thanks for listening to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. If you enjoy this series, go on over to iTunes and leave an honest rating and review. And be sure to listen to all the other episodes from Top Traders Unplugged. If you have questions about systematic investing, send us an email with the word question in the subject line to info at toptradersunplugged.com and we'll try to get it on the show. And remember, all the discussion that we have about investment performance is about the past, and past performance does not guarantee or even infer anything about future performance. Also understand that there's a significant risk of financial loss with all investment strategies, and you need to request and understand the specific risks from the investment manager about their products before you make investment decisions. Thanks for spending some of your valuable time with us, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Systematic Investor.